Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by BioTill Cover Crops. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. Today, I'd like to introduce Bob Larkin, a research plant pathologist with USDA ARS, who's based in Maine. Bob will be discussing lowering disease pressure using cover crops. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you, happy to be here. To get us started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, um, as you said, I'm with USDA Agricultural Research Service. Uh, I'm at the New England Plant Soil and Water Lab located in Orono, Maine on the University of Maine campus. I work primarily with potato and organic vegetable production systems in the research areas of uh, biological and cultural control of soil-borne diseases, use of disease suppressive rotation crops, sustainable cropping systems, soil health, and soil microbial communities. I work on developing crop production practices and systems that reduce soil-borne diseases, improve soil health, crop production, and economic viability for food production systems. Wow, it sounds like you keep really busy then. Yeah, we're busy all the time. (laughs) So let's go ahead and and jump right into today's topic. Let's talk about what soil-borne diseases can be impacted by using cover crops. Well, pretty much uh, any soil-borne disease or pathogen may be impacted by cover crops due to their effects on soil microbiology. but that the extent of those effects can vary greatly depending on the specific cropping system and the specific cover crop. For the most part, um, the effects are generally positive in that the presence of a cover crop results in reduced disease, but there are some cases where the wrong cover crop could actually increase disease if it is a host to the same pathogens as your main crop. So the, the interactions can vary quite a bit. Okay. In, in your experience, have you seen that there are certain cover crop species that do a better job of mitigating those soil-borne diseases than others? Cover crops that are most effective against soil-borne diseases are those that, that involve multiple mechanisms of action. That is, that there's more than one way in which they can, can help reduce diseases. Uh, generally, cover crops that are grown as green manures that have biofumigant properties will have the greatest impact in reducing soil-borne diseases. Those that have biofumigant properties are, are plant groups that produce compounds that, when broken down and incorporated into the soil, produce volatile toxins that specifically interact and reduce populations or uh, inhibit uh, soil pathogens. So the brassicas as a group or a family uh, tends to be very effective for reducing diseases, but uh, various cover crops are going to be useful against different soil-borne pathogens. And so, it's important to, to uh, select the right cover crop depending on your particular uh, main crop and the disease issues that you have, because there may be some 
that work well on some diseases than not as well on others. Sure. So I know that you're based in the Northeast, but have you seen in, in your experience and in research, does the geography of where a, a grower is located influence how effective a cover crop is in managing or mitigating soil-borne disease? Uh, yes. Well, you know, geography is, is most important due to the different seasonal and environmental conditions that that area has, uh, as well as, um, well, you know, what crops are grown or what crops are, are generally in that area. And so that, you know, will make a big difference in determining what cover crops can be grown and do well in those particular local conditions. Uh, you know, so the, your particular growing season, the time of year you, you need to cover crop, and of course, temperature and moisture conditions, all of those things that will affect your, the growth of your cover crop is going to affect their ability to, uh, to be effective in reducing diseases. And, and as I said, I mean, it also depends on what, what your main crop is and what, what you're trying to accomplish with your cover crop. In general, though, you know, the, your, your cover crop effects are going to be dependent on the amount of biomass that you produce. Uh, so how much growth and how well they develop is going to be directly uh, related to their efficacy of, as, as a cover crop for all of the properties that they can contribute. So, and geography will also affect the, the types of diseases or the disease problems that may be present in that particular area. Some parts of the country are prone to some certain diseases that are not present in other parts, such as I work with potatoes here in the Northeast and the disease problems we have here are a bit different than what they see in the Pacific Northwest due to the different uh, environmental and climate climatic conditions there. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. So a play off of that previous question, does soil type also play a factor in how effective cover crops can be? Yes, sure. Um, soil type can also be important, you know, again, in that the soil type can may affect how well the cover crop grows and develops. So the same, by the same reasoning, uh, you know, in this case, uh, depending on the soil texture, the amount of clay or sand, silt in the soil, whether how rocky the soils are, the pH of the soil, drainage, water holding capacity, all of those things are related to the kind of inherent properties of the soil. And those are all things that will affect not only your cover crop growth, but, you know, your, your main crop growth. And so uh, that will have an effect on, on the ability of the cover crop to function well in, in reducing soil-borne diseases, as well as, you know, its impact on, on other aspects or other benefits that cover crops provide. Okay. So when you're talking about soil-borne diseases, are there different levels of the severity of a soil-borne disease? And can cover crops then impact how severe that soil-borne disease presents itself? Well, any particular soil will have different levels of soil-borne diseases, depending primarily on how long and what crops have been grown there in the soil previously, uh, as well as these, you know, previously mentioned factors of the geography and soil type that, that are in that area. Um, generally, the longer amount of time that a particular crop, or even in some cases, any crop has been grown in that soil, the more um, 
probable it is or more problems you're likely to have with soil-borne diseases. You know, cover crops provide many benefits to, to soil from reducing erosion, adding organic matter, improving the soil, physical, chemical, and biological properties, and, you know, supplying nutrients, suppressing weeds, improving water availability. And all of those things also contribute to this function of breaking pathogen or pest cycles with, with your main host crop uh, and uh, increasing the effectiveness of uh, the cover crop and, the, and their ability to, um, to reduce disease. So the amount of, of disease you have in that soil is certainly going to be a determination, a term, determining factor of what kind of cover crop you need and what kind of remediation you need uh, for what diseases. In general, the, you know, the cover crop affects the severity of the diseases by reducing pathogen populations through stimulating microbial activity and diversity, resulting in general suppression of plant pathogens. And uh, some may also directly suppress or inhibit pathogens due to uh, their specific properties. Sure. So earlier you mentioned that uh, cover crops produce chemicals that might be harmful to pathogens. Can you dig in a little bit more and, and talk with us about what some of those uh, chemicals are and how they fight back against those soil-borne pathogens? Sure. So there are certain groups of plants. I mentioned the brassica family, which is are the mustards, broccoli, cabbage, kale, radish, turnip, the, that whole group, the crucifers, that whole group of plants. They're one of the most important groups in this category that we that are is referred to as uh, resulting in biofumigation. These types of plants produce compounds called glucosinolates that are sulfur compounds, which when um, incorporated into the soil, they break down to produce another class of, of compounds called isothiocyanates, which are volatile toxins. They're closely related to the fumigants that are in some chemical fumigants, such as uh, methamsodium, which is a common chemical fumigant that is used. This is a similar, similar compound that's produced in those fumigants, and that's why it's referred to as biofumigation. Uh, these these groups of plants uh, produce these compounds that result in in uh, biological production of some of these fumigant type um, toxins, which then uh, directly reduce soil soil-borne pathogens as well as uh, nematode populations and uh, weed seeds. So it can reduce all of those things of uh, fungal pathogens, nematodes, and weeds in uh, in the soil. Um, there are other groups of plants besides the brassicas that, that do a similar type of thing with different compounds, such as uh, Sudan grass and the sorghum Sudan grass hybrids, which produce uh, a, another group of compounds that, that also get converted in the soil to a cyanide type um, volatile um, product that also can directly uh, reduce pathogen populations. Wow, so a lot of different approaches that cover crops can take there. So talk a little bit about pseudonomads and how they fit into the scenario with cover crops and soil-borne diseases. Okay, well, it's actually pseudomonads. Pseudomonads uh, refers to a group of bacteria that are of the genus Pseudomonas and related uh, species in that family. Uh, they are root colonizing bacteria or 
also called rhizobacteria. They have properties that are uh, beneficial to plant growth. They colonize the roots and they can help the plant assimilate nutrients and they also can help protect roots from being infected by plant pathogens. So they're a beneficial group of uh, soil bacteria. Uh, and there's others, other types besides the pseudomonads that are also rhizobacteria that also can have these beneficial properties in promoting plant growth and also helping to uh, reduce infection by, by pathogens. And so cover crops that have extensive root systems, kind of large, nice, uh, extensive root systems that are a lot of fine roots and that extend deep into the soil, they will tend to promote these populations of rhizobacteria and uh, increase their populations. So such as the pseudomonads, which then help improve crop growth and reduce disease. And then these increased populations of pseudomonads will also be there for your subsequent crop. And then it can also help with that subsequent crop in their, in their crop growth and nutrient usage, as well as reduction in soil-borne diseases. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of different interactions going on with the, the soil, the roots, and the organisms in the soil. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. BioTill cover crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. And now back to the podcast. So does it make a difference how effective a cover crop can be if it's planted green into a cash crop or if the cover crops are the sole crop in that field? Does, Does that matter when cover crops are coming up against possible soil pathogens? Well, again, it, it makes a difference depending on the particular crop and the particular cover crop you're talking about. Um, with some cover crops, it can help to get them established if you plant them along with your regular crop, which is uh, referred to as being underseeded, such as if you have a grain crop like we do it with barley. You plant a grain crop like barley or oats, and you would underseed it with a cover crop such as clover or ryegrass. And then your your main crop can be can grow and and be harvested. And then when that is harvested, it leaves the cover crop in place. And then the cover crop is there to to stay through there all winter. Now you know with some crops that kind of thing works, but you know you can only do that if that cover crop is not going to interfere with the growth of your or harvest of your main crop. So that's only done in certain with certain combinations where you can grow them together. Uh, most, I would say, are grown following your main crop, meaning you have your grain crop or whatever, and then after that's done, then you plant your cover crop following that. As far as the green aspect, I think there you're referring more to how they're incorporated on whether they're, whether they're just left in place, which is kind of a standard cover crop. It might overwinter and then be left in place till the following season or with some of these crops that you incorporate them while still green and growing, uh, which is referred to as a green manure. Now, green manures have their own 
special kind of set of benefits. I mean, by incorporating a cover crop while still green and growing, you are incorporating much more organic matter, and that can have a lot of benefits as far as both in reducing disease as well as in uh, increasing the organic matter in the soil and improving the soil microbiology. Uh, so there, um, so there are a lot of benefits itself for incorporating a cover crop while still green and growing, as opposed to after it is overwintered and died or when it's no longer active. So now, are cover crops most helpful when they're used in conjunction with certain cash crops, or does can they be helpful against soil-borne pathogens, no matter which type of cash crop they're planted in rotation or, uh, you know, interceded with, et cetera? Well, cover crops can have benefits for any crop um, because of their reductions in their erosion, their impact and importance on soil health and nutrition, and, and as well as the potential for reduction of diseases. I mean, the overall benefits you get from the cover crop uh, will, in general, uh, be beneficial for for any subsequent crop. But, um, you know, there are certain cover crops that may work best with particular crops and disease problems. Um, you know, your cover crop should be selected based on on those those factors. I mean, what specific crops are you growing and in what systems and what do you want the main purpose of that cover crop to be? That is, there, there may be, you would want to select a different type of cover crop in order to maximize this disease suppressive capability where you might want a biofumigant cover crop versus if you want to improve organic matter and, so, and soil nutrition to help your subsequent crop and which again, overall improves soil health. Um, you know, you may want to choose a cover crop that's going to fix nitrogen, uh, that's, that's going to produce a lot of biomass and, and be add a lot of organic matter to the system. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, it all depends on what are the main things you want to accomplish with your cover crop. But, it, you know, as a general rule, I mean, uh, a cover crop will benefit almost any crop to some degree. Great. So now you mentioned soil health. Um, talk a little bit about how cover crops affect the soil biology that then helps with mitigating soil-borne diseases. Okay. Well, the cover crop effects on soil biology are directly related to their improvements to overall soil health. Cover crops provide organic matter and nutrition uh, for the soil microbiology. Organic matter is the primary food for uh, soil microorganisms. And so uh, if you increase organic matter, you're going to increase your uh, soil microbial activity and diversity in the soil which then uh, increases that competition among uh, soil microorganisms in general, um, then will result in an overall reduction of pathogens. Uh, you get an increase in these more beneficial rhizobacteria and other microorganisms that may be antagonistic to the pathogens. A lot of these soil microorganisms feed on root exudates. And so again, the more extensive root systems, the better for increasing uh, these rhizobacteria, as well as helping with aeration and water quality, uh, water availability, um, and all of these aspects all feed into the improvements of into soil health and 
and increase in the soil microbial activity and diversity and uh, resulting in, in this general suppression of disease. Okay, great. Does termination method impact how well cover crops work against soil-borne pathogens or uh, is the termination method not a factor? Well, yeah, it is a factor. And, and again, depending on the type of cover crop you have, particularly if you are growing a green manure, a biofuming and green manure cover crop, then they, they must be incorporated fresh and green to have their full effect. You, they, they need to be at the, if it's grown in, in the fall, towards the end of the fall, while they're still green and growing. And generally right around, right around the time of flowering is when they need to be mowed or chopped and then immediately incorporated into the soil uh, with good soil moisture in order to optimize this biofumigation process needed for the maximum effect on soil-borne diseases. Uh, in general, uh, cover crops will have better effects if they are incorporated green because you get more organic matter turned into the soil, even if it's not a biofumigant type crop, because uh, green manures in general have many beneficial qualities. Some cover crops that are not incorporated and may be killed and left in place to serve as a mulch, they, they can be used to suppress weeds and, and, that, and, and can also have some effect in reducing soil-borne diseases as well. But the termination method, again, it depends on the kind of cover crop you're growing, what the purpose of that cover crop is, and uh, what you're trying to get out of it. Uh, if you want it green, incorporated green, then it has to be treated a certain way. And uh, if you're just going to leave it to overwinter and, and winter kill, um, you know, it, 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 it may not have as, as large of effects on your subsequent crop. Okay. Well, that, that leads me right into my next question, which how well can cover crops work in a, a more perennial type situation? For example, like in orchards or vineyards where crops stay for several years, perhaps, um, can cover crops still be effective in that type of scenario? And, and how does that work? Yeah, well, obviously, perennial crops like that that stay in place for many years creates additional challenges in management and, and production uh, due to those limitations in the system. Uh, but they're still, they're still, cover crops still can be useful and incorporated into uh, perennial systems. Uh, they still can be used uh, kind of, you know, underneath your orchard and uh, or vineyard or whatever. Uh, they still can be used to provide organic matter and nutrition and weed suppression in and around the, uh, the perennial crop. But it is a much more specialized use and situation. And so there is, uh, you know, the, the management practices would be quite different with in an orchard situation uh, and how, how and when you would use it and when you would want it terminated and that. In those kinds of situations, you probably wouldn't be doing, you wouldn't really be, be able to incorporate the cover crop. It would be used more just for ground cover and, uh, and to provide that additional organic matter and some of those kind of things. But even that can still provide benefits um, uh, as well as disease reduction potential. Um, it's just a much more specialized situation and use. Sure. So you mentioned adding soil organic matter and, and how cover crops can help with that. How does 
adding to soil organic matter and, and as so soil organic matter increases, how does that also then increase how competitive beneficial microbes can be in the soil in uh, fighting against some of those uh, more detrimental microbes? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, organic matter is the primary food source for these soil microorganisms. I mean, uh, to, to, and organic matter is, is, is critically important for virtually all of the soil physical, chemical, and biological properties. It, 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 it affects pretty much everything in the soil. Um, and, uh, and as such, kind of regulation or management of your organic matter in your soil is a, is a critical component of, of soil health. And, uh, um, and, you know, one of the reasons is because of its, of, of how important it is for the soil microbiology, which is kind of the primary workhorse of what does all of the things that soil is, is known for, for all of the, these kind of things involved with nutrient cycling and decomposition and, uh, water holding uh, capability, aeration, fil infiltration, all of those things are very much connected to the soil microbiology. Um, and so the organic matter uh, supplies the, the food for, the, for those organic, for that microbiology. And so increasing that organic matter uh, increases the activity and diversity of your soil microbes resulting in more different kinds of organisms doing different things um, related to those kind of functions of decomposing uh, materials, nutrient cycling, plant growth, uh, increasing these populations of these diverse types of, of microorganisms then uh, makes it more difficult for the soil-borne pathogens, which may not be good competitors against some of these other soil-borne pathogens. Pathogens are, have evolved to be good pathogens uh, to host plants, but they are generally not as good of um, competitors in the soil environment. So when you increase this activity and diversity of the other soil microorganisms around the pathogens, they have a harder time surviving and flourishing. And so their populations start dropping and, uh, and you, you end up with reduced disease uh, through this kind of competition being one mechanism, but just this kind of uh, overall uh, um, reduction in their, in their populations and inhibition of their capabilities to infect plants. Okay. Well, um, Bob, this has been great information, but we are running short on time today. Where can our listeners go for more information about cover crops and uh, soil-borne disease? Uh, well, our, um, there's uh, several resources that, that will help with, uh, with general information on soil health and use of cover crops. Uh, um, the uh, USDA NRCS has a whole series of websites on soil health. Um, SARE, which is a Sustainable Agricultural Research and Education Network, has, has a bunch of information on this type of thing. You can also go to the ARS website, which is ars.usda.gov, and select our location, the New England Plant Soil and Water Lab, from, from a location map at that site and go to our website, and you can get specific information on 
the research that we've done, uh, which has a lot that are related to cover crops and as well as other aspects of these uh, uh, disease suppressive crops, biofumigant uh, um, crops, uh, soil health, soil microbial communities, uh, all of those sorts of things that we've published information on. Fantastic. Well, thanks again so much for joining us today, Bob. Really appreciate your time and expertise. Sure. Great, great to be here. Thanks. Once again, I want to thank BioTill for sponsoring this podcast. To learn more about BioTill, call 541-928-0102 today. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.